Welcome to Static Bursts. Our podcast series will discuss the threat static electricity poses to your business and how to address those risks. I'm your host, Dave Long, founder and president of StaticWorks. We make static control flooring. And I'm your co-host, Rick Froughton. In our previous episode, we discussed some of the mistakes that are commonly made when selecting an ESD floor, such as failure to consider the type of footwear that will be worn in the space. Today, we continue the discussion as we focus on the total cost of ownership of an ESD floor over time. Dave reminds our listeners not to make the mistake of thinking only about the initial costs of flooring materials, but also to consider the costs related to installation, maintenance, and repairs, as well as the cost of any downtime associated with these activities. What am I talking about when I talk about cost of ownership? I'm not just talking about the original cost to put the floor in. People get so hung up on the original cost. Obviously, there's a, there's a price for that, but what's the price for replacing a floor once an um, operation can't be interrupted? In, in other words, has the specifier thought about what needs to be done to either replace that floor, take care of that floor, or repair that floor in a what could be a very chaotic environment. So best example, an FAA flight tower. How do you replace flooring in a flight tower? Do you tell the airlines not to operate any planes for two or three hours? Probably not. Do you tell people to offload their responsibilities to a different flight tower? There's a reason the flight tower is located where it is. Obviously, you're not going to be able to do that. So you've got to have a strategy in place where when you select the flooring that goes in that flight tower, that it's gonna last as long as possible, but also that if a tile needs to be repaired or replaced, or if you need to gain access to cabling underneath that tile, because maybe the subfloor is a a raised access floor, you need to think about how is that floor attached to whatever the subfloor is, and how easy is it to pull a tile up, put another one in its place, or gain access to the area below. And there's a number of strategies for that, starting with the idea that some of these floors can actually be installed without using any adhesive. It's a um, chemical that you have to apply to a surface and allow it to dry for a certain amount of time. So one of the strategies that a lot of flight people find to be very attractive is they call them tactiles. What they really are is a four inch by four inch piece of plastic that has adhesive on it and it actually locks carpet tiles together. And that way, if for some reason in the future you need to re-lay out the floor or you replace a tile because maybe it becomes damaged, they're very easy to take apart and put back together again. Whereas an adhesive might be a more permanent installation method, and it also might be a, an installation method that takes longer to deploy. So the cost of installing with an adhesive is a significant factor for floors that require it, but there are alternatives to using adhesive and some types of ESD floors don't need it, such as epoxy coatings. Epoxy floors may be less expensive than other flooring types in terms of the initial material cost, but does that tell the whole story? Cost of ownership with epoxies. Let's think about an epoxy floor. It gets put down and allowed to dry in an empty room and it looks like glass. That's the last time it's ever going to look like glass. Epoxy floors are extremely durable, they're easy to roll equipment over, but they're also rather difficult to repair in in short time spans. So when you're looking at using a coating, one of the things you need to think about is what kind of activities are going to go on on this floor that might cause it to become damaged. 
because it might actually be the least expensive solution for a factory, but if you're looking at the possibility of having to repair it because maybe this factory, you, you, have, you give a lot of tours to customers and visitors and you want it to always look the way it did when it was brand new, you might discover that, yeah, the epoxy looked great for two years, but now here we are in year five and it's got all these micro abrasions in it and it doesn't have any shine and now it doesn't look good. I remember years ago I went to a company in Sterling, Virginia and I sat in their lobby and when they had moved into the building they were currently occupying, they took a lot of pictures on move-in day and their floor looked beautiful, it was a coating and it was very shiny and they had been in this building now I guess maybe about seven years. When I went up to their conference room, the owner of the company said to me, I'm pretty sure we're going to want another epoxy floor. And I said to him, have you compared the pictures in your lobby from when that floor was brand new to what your floor looks like right now? And I took a little bit of a gamble and I said, because they do not look anything like each other. As far as I can tell, um, your floor is now dull and drab and you have no way to make it look nice again. So he looked at me and he said, you know, it's funny, but I've heard that from other people. What would you suggest? I said, well, first of all, I'm not telling you not to use a coating because we make coatings. What I'm telling you is that if you're interested in having a, a floor that you can bring back to its original luster, you might want to think about either rubber or vinyl tile. Both those products require more maintenance than an epoxy floor, particularly the vinyl floor. But any time during the life cycle of that floor, you have the ability to make it look brand new again. If that's something that's important to you, you may want to consider it. They ended up actually going with vinyl tile. It was less expensive than rubber, a little more expensive than um, the epoxy coating that we had offered them. But at the end, two years in, they actually sent me an email and said, we were a little bit reluctant with going with the vinyl. And when we first put it in, we had a little bit of trouble getting our maintenance company to do things the way we wanted to, but now we're extremely happy because whenever we damage a tile, we can just pick it up and put a new one in its place. The problem we had with epoxies was once we had a damaged area, we, we had to shut down that area to do a repair, and on top of that, the repairs always look different than the adjacent area right next to it. So we, we feel like we made a good decision. So when I talk about cost of ownership, I'm not just talking about maintenance, I'm talking about repairs, I'm also talking about appearance. If you just start to look at your own application, you can, you can easily forecast some of these things and not just look at the original check that you have to write for the material you're going to buy. Dave, so far you have warned against overlooking the type of footwear that will be worn on an ESD floor, and we now know that the total cost of ownership is not limited to the flooring material alone. What is another common mistake to avoid when investing in an ESD floor? So the third one, not testing the floor after install. Two weeks ago, I got a phone call from a company that told me they put in 70,000 square feet of ESD flooring in the factory in Florida. They recently tested the floor and they found an area of about 1,000 square feet that does not meet ANSI ESD S2020 standards. The floor is registering um, on their resistance meter over 1 billion ohms, which is the same thing as 1 times 10 to the 9th. And that's unacceptable if it measures over uh, 1 billion ohms. So they wanted to know why I thought that floor may have failed. When we talked about their testing, one of the things that came out in the conversation is they didn't actually test the floor when it was brand new. 
That means that that floor may never have been in compliance. That could possibly mean that during the entire life of that floor, any product that was handled in that area was made in an environment that's not compliant with their ISO certification. So you need to test your floor when it's brand new. Hopefully the people doing the work for you have the ability to do that for you. It doesn't mean you don't want to hire an independent party to come in afterward, but you should have proof of purchase, and that means knowing exactly what you bought. Along a similar line, one of the FAA locations contacted us because they were testing flooring in their flight tower, and they discovered that the flooring did not meet their specification. Their specification calls for the flooring to have a minimum resistance of a million ohms. When they tested their floor, they were able to get readings two orders of magnitude more conductive than a million ohms. That means that according to their spec, which has a minimum resistance of 10 to the sixth, they were measuring resistance in a floor that was as low as 10 to the fourth. The reason the FAA has a standard and is concerned about conductivity to begin with is because they're worried about the potential for people to, to get electrocuted. I've never heard of anyone getting electrocuted working on an ESD floor, but the FAA has a 600-page document that deals with grounding, lightning and surge suppression, and minimum resistance values of the floor in order to protect their people. So in their case, whoever put the floor in either did not understand their specification, installed material that was non-compliant and did not realize it was non-compliant, but in any case, didn't test the floor. So our suggestion is always, after your ESD floor is installed, the company that put it in for you, and that could be the manufacturer who supplied the material, should be willing to have someone, either even if it's the installer, test the floor and provide you in writing certification that based on your specification, the floor meets the standards and the test met using the test methods in your specification, and they should, be able to, they should be willing to sign it. I suggest that when you have the floor tested, you should always have someone also do a walking body voltage test. I think that strategy will help avoid the possibility of the wrong floor getting installed in the first place. Because I can tell you, if I showed you an ESD carpet and then I showed you the same carpet in the same color but without ESD properties, you wouldn't be able to know why one was different than the other unless you put an ohm meter on them to measure the difference. So unless you test and certify your new ESD floor after it's been installed, you don't really know for sure whether it complies with the applicable standards for your industry. That means you would have no real proof of purchase, and instead of offering ESD protection, your new floor could actually be posing a serious risk to your business. So final word of advice here is require in writing certification proving that the floor you bought actually meets the standards and the specification that you wrote. If you look at these three mistakes as something that, that are easily avoided, I think it will cover 95% of the possible problems you would have in the future. We hope you learned something today. If you have questions about the podcast, give us a call at 617-923-2000. Even though we specialize in solving problems with flooring, if you have a question about static discharge, how to install a floor, how to test the floor, we'll be glad to help you.
Thanks for listening.